Welcome to the PreparedX podcast, your complete source for crisis, emergency, business continuity and security preparedness interviews, news, and much more. Now, your host, he creates chaos for a living, Rob Burton. Hello, and welcome to episode 103 of the PreparedX podcast. I'm your host, Rob Burton. And just before we get started, I want to let you know that this episode is brought to you by First Look. First Look is a customized crisis simulation exercise service by PreparedX. We design it, you deliver it. See more details at preparedx.com slash first look. Okay, that's, that's enough of the advertising from me. Um, good morning, Scott Hemingway. How are you? Good morning, Rob. How are you doing, my friend? I'm great, thanks. So today I'm joined by Scott, uh, who is the Director of Security at uh, Signature Healthcare. Welcome, Scott. And uh, before we get started with the interview today, Scott, could you let our listeners know a little bit more about yourself? Sure. Um, well, I have a career that started with the Rhode Island State Police in 1986. I retired in 2008. Retired as a lieutenant. I was on our SWAT team, dive team, hostage negotiator, and I ran our governor's security unit for four and a half years. Um, also, um, I have a background in the military, was part of the United States Army, a military policeman my whole career. Mm-hmm. My last assignment was with the 243rd RTI down in Narragansett, Rhode Island. Each state has an RTI. It's a training institute where I taught combatives, the basic military police course, the UCMJ, the Uniform Code of Military Justice. Um, and when I retired, I got hired by a company out of New Jersey called APG Security. Mm-hmm. And I took over security for Lifespan um, in Rhode Island. That's Rhode Island Hospital, Merriam, Hasbro, Newport, uh, the Coro Center. Uh, left there in 2018, started my own security consulting firm, the Hemingway Group, yep. where I do a lot of workplace violence stuff in healthcare, active shooter response protocols, joint commission, um, preparedness and risk assessments in general for schools, manufacturing, and other um, agencies. Great. Well, uh, yeah. Yeah, great. Glad to have you. And I know you um, are a keen member of uh, the International Crisis Management Conference. So uh, we're glad that you can join us most years and uh, your participation is always welcomed. Yeah, it's a great conference. You know, in addition to the uh, incredibly content that you put on every year, often it's just as important for that networking opportunities that we get. Right. you know, to meet and talk with other people about what they're doing, their best practice, and then, you know, plug and play it. And uh, people are very free in that exchange of information, which is, you know, just outstanding. Yeah, it was great to be back in person this year. I think, uh, you know, th- those that attended got much more out of it. I mean, we've been, you know, doing virtual sessions, you know, throughout the pandemic. But, uh, you know, this year, getting back together, shaking those hands again, uh, having a couple, couple of drinks at the bar. And, and that's, how, that's how business gets done and relationships get built, uh, as you mentioned. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with you, Rob. I agree. Yeah. Okay. Before we get into the Q and A here, I know you recently uh, were doing some work down in Texas, um, and you managed to go by the Rob Elementary School there. Um, you know, could you just uh, start off by sharing your your experience with that? Sure. Yeah. No. Um, so I got invited by a group I'm, I've been associated with since 2009 called Controlled Force. They do a lot of training, military, police, security, uh, casino security. Um, that type of thing. And they were going down to Texas, San Antonio. They get invited post Rob Elementary School for some uh, tactical active shooter training of police officers. And they have a, a unit down there called Texas Strike Force, which is a security quasi law enforcement. 
Mm -hmm. A part of that was the ability to go over to Robb Elementary School uh, and look at it, have a panel discussion on it. Um, and again, I, I've told a couple of people this when they ask me what it was like. And the thing that I, stands out to me is I just found the ear incredibly heavy, if mm. that makes sense, to go down there and see the school itself, um, all of the mementos left. It's just growing and growing each day. You know, uh, Texas Troopers are there 24 seven. The actual building, the rear building where the shooting massacre took place is all boarded up. So no one can get pictures inside and, right. and things like that. Um, you know, but we got to walk as best we could, you know, where he crashed his pickup truck into the ditch, which is right adjacent to the school, left there. Two citizens saw the crash, went to help him and he, he shot at both of them, missed them, and then he made entrance into that rear door, um, sure. into the school, made a left, and then entered the, the two classrooms, 111 and 112. And again, it was just surreal. I think yeah. it just does a couple of things. It solidifies your commitment to doing what we do and trying to make things safer and trying to change people's attitude that, yes, this is a low probability event, with catastrophic consequences and you still need to, you know, prepare for it and train for it. Cause if you don't, um, this is what happens, you know? And then so, there was some discussion about leadership down there and also the response of, you know, of law enforcement, which I think will be a lesson learned on, on some things that could be improved on for sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, somber to say the least, and I can tell in your voice there that um, that was uh, qu quite the experience. So thanks for sharing. Yes, yeah, sir. Yeah. Okay. Then. So uh, in terms of uh, you know jumping into your career a little bit, I always I've been starting the last uh, few podcasts with asking our uh, guests about uh, what the most challenging role has been so far in their career uh, and why. What What would yeah. it be for you? So uh, in Rhode Island, I think it was two thousand and three. We had the station nightclub fire in oh, West yes. Warwick yeah. where 100 yep. people passed away at the nightclub. Yeah. Um, and that was just a, a horrific event. And, you know, things like that, you, you can't unsee that. As I said, you know, you, you, you work through that. It was a very long process um, from, you know, taking registrations from cars that were parked in the area, running that data to get a list. So when we got lists, you know, calls from, concerned parents or relatives or friend, hey, is John Doe there? We would certainly go to the registration to see, you know, if that car was registered to them. We would, that was the start of the identification process and notification process, which was definitely extended. And then it was also complicated because of some of the, um, the inability or challenges we had on identifying the bodies because of the condition, because of that fire. Oh, yeah. You know, but I will say that that the visit to Rob Elementary changed that. That's probably one that, even though it was just a a review of that case and actually going there and um, seeing the scene, that's again that's changed me a lot as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure. Uh, okay, then j jumping into it, then uh, you know, m many of our folks on the on the listening here, are, you know, really interested in obviously all, all things preparedness. But uh, uh, you know, as we're on the topic of you know violent intruder, active shooter, whatever you want to call it, um, I I'd like to hear your thoughts on uh, defining what you know a violent intruder event is. In my opinion, it's anybody, an un 
it could be an unwanted person or it could be an internal person that for whatever reason, um, administrators or other coworkers have either not noticed. And again, that's that preventative measure about taking notice and, and addressing that. And there's some, some definite things that you can look for. But anybody that comes onto your campus, whether it's a firearm, it could be a knife, it could be um, an improvised explosive device, it could be a weapon of opportunity that they just grab, and then comes in with the atom of doing bodily harm uh, to whoever's in that. And usually it's indiscriminately, unless, and this is usually a human resource issue where there's been a termination, whether they think it's rightful, or the other big part is some type of a domestic where the domestic partner is coming to work to look for you know, the other domestic partner who's either tried to discontinue the relationship or took out a temporary restraining order, you know, anything like that. So I try and keep it as broad as it is, because I think that's what really it is. It can be just about anything. It can be random. Um, it could be any intent to harm, maim, kill, and the weapon of opportunity can be a number of things. Right. I think sometimes we yep. get narrow in scope when we say active shooter or armed intruder. Yep. Um, people think a firearm, you know, whether it's a long rifle or a handgun, and they don't really think about all the other things that could be just as dangerous other yeah. than a firearm. Yeah, we've had some uh, really bad knife attacks recently. I know that's you know certainly in the UK as well. That's you know that's something that uh, happens on a on a daily basis, certainly uh, in London and some of the other bigger cities. Yes, sir. Um, so we often hear about uh, mass shooting statistics, um, you know, obviously, you know, it's, it's often comes up in the media for several days after an attack. Uh, what sources do you get your data from? Sure. So um, the FBI Department of Justice puts out a yearly um, report on active shooter mass killing events. And 2021, it was just published. They usually come out in April or May. So if anybody's interested in that for last year's statistics, um, you can, and it's free, you go online and you, and you can get that. And it's very granular in nature. Uh, 2021, there were 61 active shooters that met the definition of what an active shooter is. And then they break it down by industries. They break it down by time, the number of casualties, the number of injured, and then what happened to the, to the suspect, whether, you know, Rob, I think, you know, in many cases, these things are over well before law enforcement get there. Mm -hmm. They usually end in a suicide of the suspect. Um, very few survive and are ever actually apprehended where then the law enforcement community has the opportunity to interview them and start to build their criminal profile. Um, that's, that's one of the main ones. I look for that report every year because it really puts it in, in context and the information contained in that report is very granular in nature. Great. And, and we'll get the link from you for that, Scott, and we'll share it in the show notes uh, so uh, folks can get a hold of that. We appreciate that. Thanks. And as I said, it's usually April, May um, of the following year that it's published. And this one has, has already been published, so it's available there. One of the other ones, and it's fairly new, is a GVA, and that's the Gun Violence Archive. They mm -hmm. do a really good job. And it includes other things other than mass shootings or, or active shooter shootings, but it gives a really good broad spectrum of the gun violence taking place in the United States. Yeah. It lists it uh, state by state. It breaks down, you know, where they happened, usually the time, the gender, you know, some basic information about the suspect, but it, it's very broad in nature. And it, it just, it's not as specific as the active shooter, but it's a, it's a really good depository of that type of information. 
great. Yeah, we'll share that one as well. That's yeah. great information. Thank and you. Believe the, one of the last ones I use in, in it's the uh, Campus Safety Magazine. They mm. do a really good job of not only with campus shootings, but hospitals and other places. Great uh, articles on there. Um, very easy to uh, navigate through their website. You can sign up for their newsletter. It's free. You know, they just ask for you to put some basic information in, you know, your name, um, what you do, or if you're associated with a school or if in healthcare, what industry, and then an email address. Yep. And it's not one where they send you a ton of like solicitations from businesses as well, which I appreciate. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's just that information from that magazine. Um, Great. It's, it's a, it's a decent timely resource. Like they'll, that FBI report comes out once a year. Campus safety reports it as they happen. Mm -hmm. And then also the GVA will, will give it as, as that data changes, they'll update it um, very, very frequently when you go to that database as well. Great. Well, appreciate that. Um, let's move on to training. Um, I, I know um, you, you're, a, you're a big component of making sure, you know, the preparedness piece is, is what we're all about, right? Um, you know, in our world and, and in your world. So as it relates to, you know, again, active shooter, violent intruder, whatever it might be, um, I'm sure there's a number of things that we can do in terms of training. There's, uh, is there two components to training? Is there the, the safety training, the run, hide, fight piece, as well as the leadership training? What's your view on the training? So I, I'll agree with you, right? So there's definitely the actual um, choices, options, whether it's run, hide, fight, get out, hide out, act out, indoor, outdoor, my door, whatever acronym you want to put, put to it, that's one. Two is absolutely leadership. And I think we, with Rob Elementary, the recent one, I think there'll be some great le lessons learned from that about how important leadership is during that crisis. Yeah. And I think one of the biggest lessons that are going to come out of that will be making sure that organizations put someone in leadership because of their qualifications rather than what they look like or anything else. Yeah. And I'm not saying that's unimportant, but we just saw how important qualifications are, operational experience to take charge and, and really manage that in an appropriate way. I think that's going to be one of the, the lessons learned from this. Um, and it was a, a, a really big topic of discussion while I was down there in Uvalde. And Rob, yeah. the, la the next thing is that, and I don't think it gives enough attention is, and I don't like to use the word prevention, but awareness. Mm -hmm. So we constantly see in things like this about some cues that have been given, whether it's through social media or whether it's with actual conversations or behaviors that other people have seen and either thought that, you know what, I don't want to be accused of, of, of profiling a particular person, you know, or they, they discard it, um, you know, and things like that. So that's the other thing as well that, you know, everybody knows the saying, see something, say something, yeah. right? That's a really catchy phrase, but I don't think organizations do enough of that yeah. about empowering everyday employees that interact with everyone in their job. And a lot of times now people are connected outside of work through social media, mm -hmm. you know, what to look for, um, how to report that in an appropriate way, right? Yep. you know, and then <clears throat> that organizations, whether it's a risk manager an internal compliance, a human resource person, making sure whoever that gets reported to has the training 
to appropriately evaluate what that risk level is and then make an appropriate or put in a, a, an appropriate countermeasure to that, whether it's an, an employee assistant program, you know, whether it's, it is a relationship with law enforcement for early detection, you know, and, and early intervention. Yep. But I think that's a component that's going to get more and more um, focus as these things come about, especially with the suspect in U Uvalde who had a pretty big social media footprint. Um, and it may not have been followed up on or countermeasure put in in a timely manner to engage that that suspect before this happened, before he decided to execute whatever plan he had. Yeah. Yeah. You, met, you mentioned something that I, I know in the past, um, we, we've worked uh, many years ago with Marisa Randazzo and she's been on the podcast too. And, and, and she's a, a big component. Uh, I think she was former secret service and, uh, and she uh, originally looked at um, school shootings. Um, I think she was uh, with the Clinton administration when she was with uh, the secret service. And uh, I think they did a whole assessment um, um, on um, school shootings and uh, kind of, you know, started to you know look at, you know, some of the problems before the shooting actually got to that stage and you mentioned something that i'd like to just uh, pick on a second uh, and uh, what's your experience with um risk assessment teams you mentioned there obviously something gets reported through the system and we want to put this team together uh, and we want to make sure that they're trained and uh, like you mentioned appropriate measures are put in place is, is that something that you would advocate not only for schools but also for uh, you know any organization that uh, uh, you know has you know multiple employees where you know um threats are made or something's not going right and uh, you want to be able to look at it um, and evaluate what's going on yeah i think that's going to be an up-and-coming um a field of interest right now for again huge companies small companies schools hospitals wherever you have employees that can certainly um act out listen i think we've all heard the term you know what he just snapped now no that yeah. happens but it's incredibly rare. rare and one of the ones that i think most people will remember is the harvest shooting in las vegas for sure yeah like he did not have a, a social footprint he did not post you know menacing comments or anything he was wealthy you know and there was no note at his home or anything else like that so right. that's one of the few that i really can think of off the top of my head where there wasn't some information activity that looking back on it right hindsight is always 2020 yeah. that you could not have have looked into it and then as we, as you said, what training do those particular people have that it's going to be reported to, right? Do they have uh, an idea of what um, a psychological background is? The best prediction of someone's future behavior is their past. You know, what is in their past? What's their background before they even get hired? I think that's another one that sometimes everybody says they do a background, but often it's, it doesn't go nearly deep enough or get granular enough. You know, usually it's just a local one. They don't go through the NCIC, the FBI database, yeah. you know, that type of thing. They don't do it by fingerprint comparison. It's a name and a date of birth, last address, maybe a phone number. And they run it through some of these um, public systems that are out there for $25 or whatever. And they get this report. And it, I think in that case, it, it really is not sufficient enough to get the type of data that you need to look at. Yeah, that, that makes sense. <clears throat> um, we, we spoke uh, just before we came on air about risk assessments. Um, 
I'm sure you're in the middle of doing a number of them at the moment, or you're, you're kind of ongoing in, in some environments that you work in, um, certainly in the healthcare sector. Uh, what are some of the gaps, though, that you see, or some of the common gaps that you see as it relates to an organization's readiness um, to prepare for some kind of violent event? Right, yeah. So I think, first of all, it's when I get calls, and I'm sure you do the same thing, your group, and, and maybe some of even our colleagues that are part of the ICMC, you know, when someone says, hey, I want a risk assessment, that's such a broad topic, you know, and it has different meanings to different, you know, people when they say it. Um, one of the biggest things is, for me anyway, I've got to meet with that particular potential client and really um, get down to the details. Tell me what you think a risk assessment is and what you, when you say that to me, what you're looking at. Yeah. You know, so divining that scope of work um, or what they're looking for is really incredibly important. Yeah. Um, one of the gaps I see often, Robert, is that when I go to the, some of these companies, they've already spent a pretty significant amount of money on technology, mm -hmm. IP cameras, uh, geofencing, you know, you name it. But then when I go to see where it's set up, no one's in, in a timely manner is viewing that or using that appropriately. Right. It sits there and it's just evidentiary in, now in, in factor. Right. So it's just capturing a event rather than someone monitoring that. Right. No, I call it no what, uh, why, you know, so, OK, ask about it, look at it, evaluate it, ask with a questioning mind and respond proactively rather than reactively. But you can't a system doesn't do that yet. You know, you can get an alert if you geofence something and someone breaks that circuit. Mm -hmm. You know, and okay, now you've got an audible alarm or whatever, but it would be just as important to see that approach, see who's coming, what they look like, um, and then start to put your countermeasures in place. So even though companies have spent money on technology, I really don't think it's, it's probably uh, properly deployed yeah. or monitored, if, if that makes sense. Yeah, the deployment you mentioned there, and that's, you know, we, we see it as well in, in, you know, in the corporate space as it relates to uh, technology that supports, you know, a, a crisis response from a, just from a communication standpoint, uh, that's not validated, you know, through their exercises. And, you know, you, you gotta, you gotta put those exercises together to, to make sure that the system is, is stress test, and uh, we can find some of those gaps to make sure we can fill them, like you say. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think communication is one of them, you know, often in healthcare, uh, for sure, you know, the overhead paging system um, has gaps, you know, and one of the things I always ask, I shouldn't say if it, if it pertains, you know, the operating room is one that usually doesn't have overhead paging in it. And I, I say that, you know, if there, God forbid, there's an armed intruder and you're in the middle of a, of a procedure, what, you know, what is the expectation of that group of staff members in that procedure? Right. How are they going to be notified? Or say if you're in labor and delivery. You know, what are you going to do in that case? It, you can't stop it. You can't tell the woman, okay, hang on a minute. We got to take a break and we'll be back in an hour. Right. You know, so again, what are those expectations of the staff? How do you take care of that? What's that countermeasure in? And are they even notified? Right. That's something like that is going on. You know, so that communication plan, as we both know, right? Redundancy is incredibly important. Mm -hmm. In the military, we have a saying, one is none, two is yep. one. Yeah. You know, so always have something redundant because these are all mechanical systems. Anything mechanical is prone to breaking down or going offline. And it usually happens at the worst time. Yeah. Yeah. Right. right. We've been there. <laughs> yeah. You know? 
yeah yeah yeah, yeah. never never nine to five but right, uh, I guess, exactly. I, I, yeah exactly. I, well I, you know unless you're in school unfortunately it seems to be you know when, when the children are in school right I mean that's the sad part about uh, that's probably the only the only one that is nine to five but uh, right. pretty sad um okay uh, moving on I, our listeners will be you know looking for some um some resources uh, to help develop their own programs if they're starting out or you know maybe they've already started like you said they've got some you know some thoughts around it they've done some research but you know what would you recommend in, in, in terms of that process right yeah so i think there um honestly there is a, a an enormous amount of material out there either from the fbi uh CISA, the critical infrastructure security association has a lot of information out there fema does department of homeland security and they've got templates and videos um, that you can watch and i think that's a great start i think organizations get overwhelmed with that because even though they've got the template they really don't know how to operationalize it or where to begin yep you know and right now i'm questioning organizations and i hope i, I say this the right way with unfortunately the number of events that are happening you're going to see some companies pop up because they've watched a youtube video right. or something else and now they're going to consider themselves an active shooter armed intruder expert or an expert on risk assessments you know and that type of thing or you know, um, counterintelligence, you know, surveillance techniques. Yeah, yeah. I just caution organizations to do their due diligence to make sure whoever they decide to come in and assist them, that they're competent, ask for references. Can you show me a past product? Yeah. You know, that type of thing. Um, and then with the policy development, as I said, even tabletop exercises and things like that, there are a lot of things out there that you can at least look at cut and paste that you don't have to reinvent the wheel. Mm -hmm. But again, I think some many organizations get overwhelmed with that. They have it in front of them. They look at it and they're like, I don't even know where to start. Yeah. You know, how do we phase this in? What's our first step? You know, how do we not in, um, have our employees become afraid, right? We want to give information, but we don't want to, you know, intimidate anybody. Yeah. Um, so I, I think those are some of the things that organizations struggle with. And uh, I think that's where an outside organization, a qualified outside organization with true operational experience mm -hmm. can come in and assist that organization to get a plan that, that works for their philosophy, their employee population, and just as important, if not the most, their organizational setup, right? The logistic footprint, you know? We always wanna push out the security per perimeter as far as we can and then tighten it up as it gets closer to the sensitive security area, right? Your point of entry and egress, the interior of your yep. building. Um, but I think that's what what some of the concerns are. And um, organizations sometimes struggle with that. But I think if you do your due diligence, there are some really great organizations out there that are skilled in this, um, that can assist you in implementing and operating a, a plan for you. Yeah, yeah, I, I like uh, I like um, having that relationship built and, and continued even after the service, you know, um, is delivered, right? So, so you got those touch points still to to help kind of, you know, get that program up and running. You're not just walking away by leaving, you know, a, a plan behind or an assessment behind. You know, you you actually got that touch uh, that touch point uh, for a period of time, whatever that might be, for a year. You know, it's every every month you check in uh, to make sure the program's going well. You make sure you know they're navigating through. Um, 
because again it, it's you know it, it's it's you know your experience you know companies that have got this experience you know that, it took many many years to to get that experience so you know a school starting out or you know a, a business starting out down this path you know you're not expecting them to you know perfect this um there's no perfecting this this is an ongoing yeah and rob i think that's a, an, an incredibly important point that this should not be what we call a one and done yeah right you should have at a minimum in the annual you know, as you said, maybe a quarterly check-in in the beginning. Uh, and let's take um, technology for a, a, an instance. If you're going to implement that, it should be scalable, mm -hmm. right? Because two years down the road, whatever it is, there's going to be something else that can is going to come out that is much more um, specific. The technology is improved. You know, so you, you, again, you want to make sure whatever that is is scalable, and that's where these organizations can come in, yep. right? On a on an annual basis and review what you've got in place, the policy, you know, all those types of things, maybe even get called in on a particular event to help them manage that or give them some guidance on it. But it should not be a one and done. You know, that should be a relationship that you build, regardless of leadership in an organization, if it changes, you know, and if that's the case, that's really where you should bring in the consultant when there is a change in, in leadership to make sure whatever that leader is or she is, um, the philosophy is understood and you adjust that you make modifications or implement new kind of measures if appropriate right yeah yeah and uh, that's a great way to lead into the uh, to the final question here as it relates to making changes from uh, identified issues that come up and and uh, they certainly come up in during uh, simulation exercises and uh, you know what, what are your thoughts on the importance of running those i think it's incredible and again i'm going to look so there's a um a planning in response to an active shooter resource that was put out in November of 2015. Um, and it's called the Security Committee Policy and Best Practices. And we all know that government can be vague on purpose at times. And I'm going to read you the uh, it's it's 6.4 and it's the exercise portion of it. Mm -hmm. And this particular language is incredibly specific. And this is my my philosophy on training as well. And it says, uh, most facilities practice evacuation drills for fires, tornadoes, but far fewer preparedness exercises for active shooter. Mm. After, after conducting training sessions, and here's the, here's the term, it is absolutely essential to reinforce the classroom or online instruction with realistic exercises. Now that yep. language is incredibly scriptive and I believe that as well. You, we can train for um, things like this, presentations, PowerPoints, you discuss run, hide, fight, how to interact with, with law enforcement, what they will or won't do, um, reconciliation points, um, you know, see something, say something, and that's all great. That gives you the basic, but it should not stop there. Right because everything changes under stress and that would be friendly stress. But again, even the government says it's absolutely essential after you've done that portion to run realist, realistic as possible exercises for your staff. Yep. And that, and that goes beyond the actual physical staff moving out of a building or run, hide, fight, whatever, whatever the process you have, it goes to the next level in terms of your management team. Oh, absolutely. 
Yeah. So Absolutely. how we activate that team, what their roles, like you said, most of these events, you know, typically are over, uh, but still there's, there's things that we need to do as an organization, certainly from a human resource standpoint, uh, certainly from a legal standpoint, you know, it's, it, yes, we wash our hands with uh, the physical response because that's the law enforcement's responsibility, but uh, we still need to come together as a crisis team within our organization uh, to make some of those decisions. Right. And long-term, if I may, Rob, you know, I met Eric Littman at our 2019 conference. Eric yep. was the captain, one of the captains of Las Vegas EMS during the Las Vegas Harvest um, concert. Um, he's back here in Massachusetts, and I, I he's collaborated with me on a couple of presentations. But long term, Eric talks about the amount of um, there's been some suicides, mm -hmm. some people leaving the job early, some domestic issues, marriages falling apart. Um, and in that time, since that shooting in 2017, over 90% of the leadership of that Las Vegas fire department has resigned or retired. Wow. And how does an organization prepare for, right? So it, he said it, it, it started to manifest itself about 14 months after the event and it's mm. still going on today. Yeah. You know, so that long-term, what are you prepared? You know, what relationship do you have within a, employee assistance program or, or to deal with that psychological trauma yep you know and yep. how do you replace your leadership right right yeah i mean yep. really challenging questions but long term as you said yeah, the trauma risk management piece is essential. I know it's just, uh, you know, we, we often speak with our friend out of the UK, former military, uh, my former military commander of mine, um, Skid Dorney, and uh, he, he's been running trauma risk management for healthcare system, NHS in the UK, uh, but beyond that as well, for, you know, with, within first responders and, and even corporations now. And, uh, yeah. you know, he, he talks about, uh, you know, having that peer, <clears throat> it's a peer support system. So, and it really works. And uh, they brought it into the military. Actually, it was after I left. But, uh, you know, in the in the early days of uh, of the uh, second Iraq war, if you will, um, they, they brought this system in place because they realized very quickly that we need to start to talk about um, right. those traumatic events. And they may be indirect as well. We may have heard it through one of our friends who was involved with it. But uh, those directly involved, you certainly um, having a system in place to be able to support uh, uh, your peers uh, is essential. And, and there are things that organizations can do ahead of time. Time to, to prepare for that i agree yeah get that relationship established yeah 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 well this has been great um i can tell you what scott uh this is going to be well received um i, I want to say thank you very much for your time today it's my pleasure buddy my my pleasure i'm glad that i was able to hop on and, and discuss something that most people want to um not discuss because it's easier mm -hmm. but unfortunately these events um are happening at a much more frequent event that anyone cares to admit and uh, we're trying to get ahead of it yeah 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 uh, any final comments or you know for our listeners how can they get a hold of you so i have my it's called the hemingway group and my mm -hmm. website is the hemingway group.com yep um my email address is the hemingway group llc at gmail.com Great. And we'll add that into the show notes here as well. Awesome. Yeah. Okay, great. Well, thanks again for your time today, Scott. Um, hope you have a nice uh, rest of your day and hopefully we'll be talking to you again soon. Thanks, Rob. Stay safe. Have a great day. 
Thank you. Thank you. Well, that wraps up episode 103 of the PreparedX podcast. Uh, I encourage you to rate us on iTunes or any other of the outlets where you might be listening to this podcast. Uh, if it's on our website or any of the other out, uh, podcast uh, outlets, uh, please uh, comment and let us know uh, what you thought about this. Until next time, have a safe and productive day. Thank you. Mm-hmm.